Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a special treat. We have a mental health panel that consists of Brett Lloyd, Lisa Glick, and Janice Lum. Welcome y'all. Hi, thanks for having us. Let's start. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to get started with this. I think mental health is just really not talked about enough. And we're going to discuss how a meat based diet has made a huge difference in all three of their lives. And this is a huge thing. And I don't think people really fully understand just how debilitating mental health can be when, when it's not good mental health. And so let's start off with a little bit of your background and some of the issues that you've had to deal with in the mental health realm. So Brett, you go first. Well, uh, thank you, Amber. Uh, my name is Brett. I'm 60 years old. I'm a musician. I uh, worked in the mental health field in my twenties, believe it or not. Um, and I suffered from horrible, horrible depression, uh, later diagnosed with major depression with psychotic features, oh yeah, and anxiety and insomnia for over 40 years of my life. And uh, I've com- been completely transformed by this wonderful way of eating. I, all my symptoms have been in total remission for well over two years now. and. Uh, Happiness is the norm. That's awesome. Okay, Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa Glick, and I'm 61, Brett. I'm a year older than you. And um, I got diagnosed at age 31 as bipolar, but I had really been sick since I was in elementary school, and I didn't realize it. The episodes were really mild. And the sickest, looking back now, the sickest I ever was was when I was a vegetarian when I was eating carbs upon carbs and beans and vegetables and really, really minimal um, protein. And so I had basically a nervous breakdown um, about a year and a half after I had my one and only child. And I was misdiagnosed for a long time because I just had a baby. It took a long time, postpartum, blah, 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 blah. So finally I got a correct diagnosis and I was on lithium for um, 15, 20 years and it helped, but I ended up um, finding other tools. Like I'm a runner, I'm a singer. I, I started eating better and, um, and then I found keto and I was able to go off my meds and uh, keto was really great because all those years of restricting and, and my weight also up, down, up, down, blah, 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 blah. Um, I was afraid of fat, you know, being growing up in the seventies, I was low carb, low fat, you know, restricting, binging, restricting, binging. When I found keto, I I was like fat, where you been all my life. And then, um, and that worked really, really well for me. And I've been doing well, but with the pandemic, I'm on a new marriage, a great marriage, second marriage, I moved cross country. Things were not going so well. They were starting to get a little scary. And then I found carnivore and I thought, you know what, what the heck, I have nothing to lose. And I started Christmas Eve and I'm on it like a little over three months now. And I cannot believe the difference in how I feel mentally, physically, everything. It's, it's remarkable. Love it. Okay, Janice, your turn. Uh, I'm Janice Lum and I'm 42 years old and I basically suffered from depression and what my therapist called obsessive anxiety for my entire life. I can remember from a baby all the way through, um, like Lisa, I was a vegetarian for almost 10 years and that really, I really did poorly that way. Um, I also had um, 
like body dysmorphia kind of like eating disordered eating um and just to tell you my family immediate family has um paranoid schizophrenia bipolar and depression and anxiety so it wasn't unlikely that i would get depression and obsessive anxiety uh, i was very perfectionistic very self-loathing um super super um you know, bipolar tendencies. I was never diagnosed with bipolar, but I definitely had very unstable, turbulent moods. Um, I've now been carnivore for 21 months. And most recently I've been um, high fat and eating, I'm on day 85 of eating fatty ribeye. And kind of like Lisa, it just like, for me, uh, carnivore brought it to a really great level where I was able to get rid of my depression. Um, but when I went to high fat and fatty ribeye, I've actually gotten rid of my anxiety, which that was really unexpected. So very similar to all you three. So that's awesome. Okay. So let's, let's get a little serious just for a minute and then we'll, we'll get to the good stuff and have fun. But I, I think people really need to understand how mental health can affect your life and your family's life. So Brett, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about how it affected you in everyday life. How, how did you feel debilitated and how did your family react to that? What, what did they have to deal with? Well, um, I was an angry, depressed person. I started experiencing symptoms now. I know this now. I was oblivious to it at the time, but uh, as far back as when I was 15 years old, started having sleep disruptions. Uh, I was very, very angry all the time. And uh, I was voted class grouch. I couldn't imagine why. Um, and, and I had, you know, as I aged, got older, my dissatisfaction with my quality of life just escalated. I, I wasn't good enough. Nothing was ever good enough. Um, even though I was working in the mental health field in my twenties, I was oblivious to what was really going on with me. Um, I had a history of sabotaging things that were good for me. I I sabotaged that promising mental health career quite profoundly. And, uh, I grew my hair long and decided I was going to become a full-time musician because I genuinely loved playing music. I always dreamed of performing, and uh, so I started my, my professional music career at the ripe old age of 28, which in music business is just ancient, but uh, I made a living playing music in bars and clubs for over 20 years. Um, I had a, I had, let me back up, I, I uh, my life became unmanageable due to depression in 1990. I checked myself into River Park Hospital. That's where I was first formally diagnosed with major depression. And they put me on Prozac for a time, but back then it was real expensive and my insurance wouldn't cover much of it. And so I only took it for a few weeks, but I was doing, I made some changes in my environment and my behavior improved a little bit. It was, it was more manageable. Uh, but then over time, my anxiety attacks got worse and, my mood started cratering again, and I just had a physician tell me, said, listen, if you don't start taking meds, your life's going to get really uncomfortable. So he put me on Prozac, which I took as prescribed for over 23 years. Um, 
And I, for a period of time, I did get a little bit better, but um, then my mood would start cratering. I started having what I call the illness wellness cycle where I was for when I first started Prozac, oh, there was a lot of wellness time and very little sick time, but over a period of years that periods of wellness shrank and the periods of illness got long, longer and longer and more intense and darker and darker. Had a nervous breakdown in 2006, 2007-ish, uh, 2007-ish more likely. Um, and uh, didn't sleep for more than an hour or two a night for six weeks. And when that happens, bad things start to occur. That's when my diagnosis got bumped up to uh, major depression with psychotic features. Because when you hear kids playing in the yard and you're the only one home, that's not good. Um, got started the medicine merry-go-round. They put me on a medicine called Remeron. I gained literally 20 pounds over a two-week period of time because of that man, just to go to sleep. And then after two weeks, it quit working. And I went on another six-week tear of not sleeping. And uh, the crazy just got worse and worse. Finally, they was, that's when the, Mary, the medicine merry-go-round really got into full swing. I'd be on three or four different psych meds at once. And then it got into where I was on five or six psych meds at once. They put me on Ativan for uh, the anxiety attacks. And then they finally hit on uh, another antidepressant. But they used it off-label for sleep called Trazodone. And I took it and Ativan for eight and a half years and woke up with a lovely drug hangover every morning. But I got to sleep somewhat. Um, I had a period where, I, okay, I'm talking, telling myself, I can't live like this anymore. I got to get better. And, and for a time I did, but I also was, had gained so much weight. I was complaining to my wife. She said, well, there's this Atkins diet. Why don't you try it? And I, uh, I lost like 35 pounds and my mood got better, but at no time did we or my doctor or anybody else make the connection that it was diet related. I thought it was just cause I was at peace with things. And that was why I was feeling better. Uh, then after a year and a half, I got to go to my third year class reunion and life was great. And I want to have ice cream again. And I'd like to have some coconut cake, Amber and everybody. And, and if I get heavy again, well, I can just go back on Atkins. That didn't work out so good. The crazy came back as full force, worse than ever. And long story short, uh, January of 2015, I'm on seven different psych meds. I weigh 289 pounds. My psychiatrist is telling me I should seriously consider a long-term hospitalization and or electroshock therapy. And life was looking pretty grim and like it might not last much longer. And uh, a dear friend of mine who sings on one of a music project that I have just up and recommended one day, or she's watching me deteriorate right in front of me. She says, well, have you ever considered medical marijuana? And as a musician, it was always around, but I had a bad experience with it when I was young and it just wasn't my thing. And so I'm like, man, I'm aware of it. I did some research and saw there was anecdotal evidence and I found out medical marijuana treated my symptoms better than those meds ever did. 
and I sort of came to my senses enough to recognize the poor, my poor physical state. And it was kind of terrifying. I was trying to put my shoes on one day. My belly was in the way. Uh, so that started. And I immediately when I saw how, how, how horrible my skin looked. I mean, I looked like a stroke or a heart attack. It was just imminent. It was awful. And I told my wife, so we'll back on Atkins which I did very imperfectly because we didn't know you weren't supposed to strain the fat. So we strained the fat off everything because, you know, low fat, fat's bad, blah, blah, blah. I'm a guitar player. I wasn't a nutrition expert. Uh, but over the next three years with medical marijuana and low carb and walking, I walked off 94 pounds. By the end of 2015, I was off all the antidepressants and, and antipsychotic meds. By the end of 2016, I was off the Ativan. By the end of 2017, I was off the Trazodone, and I've not had any. Wait, you're supposed to save all that for, for later. We're supposed oh, to. Oh, you said how did it affect <laughs> how did... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I went into storytelling mode. You did. You did. <laughs> you're supposed to tell me how it affected your life, which you kind of well, did. Okay. But how, what about your family? Tell us about okay, that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jeez, Brett, that was terrible. <laughs> it's a good thing it was you, not like Michaela. <laughs> anyway. Okay, how did it affect me? I was angry all the time. I also became unable to accurately perceive my environment correctly. For instance, my wife would say to me, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. But my illness would twist that and filter it into where I didn't hear that. I heard her say something like, oh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be another beautiful day. Sure. And I love my wife. Honey, what's wrong? And she looked at me like, understand me like a crazy person you know uh, i just told you it's going to be a beautiful day but again that's not what i would hear and so it became harder and harder to communicate and it was it was a grind i i used to describe being depressed as imagine if you had a 50 pound anvil on you it's there in the morning when you wake up and it wears on you all day long it makes everything you do think or say so much harder than it would be otherwise and you go to bed knowing you get to do it all over again the next day uh my family uh well my wife she deserves a place in heaven for sticking with me because i put her through hell on earth i was so unpredictable i was so difficult to get along with and, and she just had a real hard time enduring me um but thankfully, she, she kept her vows and stuck with me. Uh, as far as the rest of my family, I was far enough away from, like, my parents and whatnot to where they weren't fully aware of just how bad it was. They knew it was bad, but they didn't really have a good understanding. Um, and friends, <laughs> I burned bridges faster than you could ever imagine. I didn't have really any friends at all i had one buddy from high school that i could count on uh that i hadn't sabotaged out of existence but that's kind of now i've answered your question not gone off onto crazy talk i'm sorry <laughs> no that was great okay lisa tell us how it, the the mental issues 
messed with your life? What about your family? What about marriages? Yep. And children and jobs. Um, so I always had a lot of moodiness and, you know, I was a music teacher. I'm a performer. So I just thought my moodiness was attributed to my creative self. And then the older I got, the moods, the mood swings escalated. And so when I finally got diagnosed, I had um, my daughter when I was 29 and I had a healthy pregnancy. I was thrilled and I had my daughter and everything was great. And then about a year later, I had a nervous collapse and um, I'm on a second marriage. And my husband at the time, he was sort of oblivious to it, but everybody else around me saw it coming. And um, I was on maternity leave, I was a teacher. Um, from my job and I had a nervous collapse and I was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital and I wasn't allowed to go back to work until I passed a test. So um, I had a lot at stake. I had a lot at stake. And I I would like to add something here that is part of my mission is that mental health, it shouldn't be like a separate thing. It's like part of our overall health. And I, the problem that I had, this was, um, 1989, 1990, is mental health was so stigmatized. They put me in a psychiatric hospital and there I had some really mean doctors. Like they were mean. Like they told me if I didn't take these meds that they were gonna lock me up and throw away the key. And it was very hard. I ended up finding the right doctor. And and I, I also wanna say medication is not a bad thing. If you need medication to get you to the place where you can do other things, there's nothing wrong with medication. But I almost lost my job. I almost lost my child because I was ill-equipped to be a mother. She had to go to daycare. And my then husband, who we stayed together, were for a really long time after that. He was like, you better do something about this or I'm out of here. So I was petrified. My father was like, pull yourself up by your bootstrap and just get it together, girl. So finally, it was about a year and a half. I did find the right medication and the right doctor. And then of course, later on keto and carnivore. But um, I, and I was lucky because I was a teacher, I was in a around people that were educated and I had access to services. So a lot of my friends were very good to me. My ex-husband at the time, he wasn't very happy about it. So it took me a long time to build those bridges back. And it's, it's a very lonely place, you know, when you're suffering for depression, because you, it's hard to figure out like what to do. Like when I was at my, at my sickest, I literally in the morning, I couldn't decide whether to put on my pants or my shirt or my shoes first. Like I couldn't make like little minute decisions. My thoughts were just like whipping around. Then thank goodness I found a doctor who was able to diagnose me correctly. She put me on lithium. I built my life back. I went back to work. I was taking care of my kid. But I, until the day I die, I will always, always be an advocate for mental health services for everybody. That's awesome. Thank you. And Janice? How, how did mental illness affect your life and your family's life? Um, I'm definitely in agreement with Lisa. Um, my, because I was so emotional, I would guess, I would say I was tragic. I, from the time I was a baby, literally, I wouldn't let anybody touch me or look at me, including my dad. It was only my mom. Mm. And I, I'm crying in every photo. Um, so it was very tragic, very emotional, very unstable. Um, I would go through periods of depression where I would retreat 
um, I wouldn't want to be, you know, around friends and it would come on suddenly. So I would have to kind of like escape and then I would hide out. I would always try to hide if I was depressed. I didn't want people to know. And that just made me very untrustworthy to myself and to others. And so I, you know, destroyed a lot of friendships. Um, I was very paranoid and obsessive and I felt so much self-doubt and kind of what Lisa was saying, like I couldn't make any decisions. Um, I had no real good sense of identity. Like I just felt lost all the time. And then people would, um, they would think because I was outwardly performing, they would think like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so upset and emotional and shutting down all the time? And so I ruined a lot of friendships and relationships that way. Um, I did get really depressed around age 29. I had moved to Santa Cruz and I was in a really bad relationship. And he was like, You're, there's something wrong with you. Like I was just so emotional. And so I ended up going on Prozac and I had therapists. And like I said, they had said I had obsessive anxiety. And so it was just really challenging because my family also has like my immediate family has mental health issues. And so we were always bouncing off each other. There was no trust there. And mm. I just couldn't trust myself really because especially in relationships, I like that you called that out because I could perform. I had to perform at school and work, but my relationships were really messed up and it's been hard now that I've been carnivore and now I can see clearly and I can think clearly. And I've had to look back and go, I was really at the source of all of those damaged relationships by being paranoid and then feeling like I needed to cut this person out of my life. Um, in high school, my friends, they had turned against me because they saw that I was doing well in school and I'd gotten into college and I had a boyfriend, but I was always off in a corner crying, you know, and they're just like, what's wrong with you? Because my insides didn't really match my outsides as far as how I seem to be doing. Um, and so there was just a lot of um, a lot of hiding out, very unstable. And then I think I, you know, had bipolar tendencies where sometimes I would feel like I was on top of the world, um, but more often I was depressed and self-loathing. And so that doesn't create friendships or relationships when you can't trust yourself and you don't think you can trust other people. And I think it was weird because I, I assigned a lot of blame to myself in the sense that I was very self-critical and I hated myself and I thought people would not like me for all the reasons that I could see that I didn't think I was good. I thought I was inferior and defective, but then that played out because then I projected that onto them that this is going to play out this way, that they're going to see how messed up I am and they're going to like diss me or give up on me. And so that's what I would kind of create. You know, I would isolate and then they'd be like, what happened to you? And then I would feel attacked by them saying like, what's wrong with you? But it's a reasonable thing to ask when someone just like drops off uh, because they're depressed, you know? So it was very damaging. And in fact, I didn't get married and I didn't have kids because I didn't think I, because I couldn't, you know, really sustain any relationships. So there was no confidence in my ability to have like a normal life, you know? So I mean, I knew, I told myself, don't have kids, don't get married. You can't do it. Like, you're not designed for that. Like, you're messed up. You have all these horrible mental illnesses in your family. Your therapist has told you that you're, like, messed up. So, you know, it wasn't good. That's heartbreaking. Ugh. Okay, so, Brett, 
Can you think of a moment that was so dark that really hit home for you where you hit rock bottom and you were like, oh, wow, I have got to do something. Is there any particular moment that just really sticks out from your life? Well, it there towards the end, right before my friend mentioned to me, hey, have you ever heard of medical marijuana? The doctor, <laughs> the one who wanted me to seriously consider electroshock therapy or a long-term hospitalization, he, uh, he monkeyed with my meds and, and he made me stop Prozac cold turkey and replace it with another medication called Latuda. Now, you don't have to have a license to practice medicine, just some basic common sense to know. You don't take somebody off a psych med they've been taking for 20 plus years, cold turkey like that. And I knew better, but I was still, I, I wasn't full of confidence. And he's I, a doctor. And he's the doctor and he swore to be damned that nothing would happen to me. And it was just, I, I really didn't think I would survive it. Uh, it was horrible. It was, you know, I always had the, what we, I called the brain jolts, the, you know, the little flashes of light that you would see and would feel like a light went across your field of vision. And there'd be these brain zaps where it was like getting zapped with a little electricity here, there and everywhere. But when that med change took place, it was, imagine if you will, what, it would feel like if somebody took a warm washcloth and rubbed it directly onto your brain. I had that sensation for many weeks. And I, I, I it wasn't that I knew something had to change because I didn't think at the time that there was anything to change to. I, I didn't really think in January 2015, I'd live out the year. Um, so it wasn't, that was probably the lowest of the lows, but it wasn't something that made me think, oh, I need to find a better answer because I had never stopped looking for a better answer. I just didn't know where else to turn. And it was just by happenstance that my friend said, mentioned medical marijuana to me or, you know, if, without her mentioning that, who knows, you know, I, I'm probably I'm probably toes up a long time by now. Uh, it was a bad time, but it was never, I, I can, I never had one of those. I got it. There's gotta be, I've got to do something different because there was nothing left to try. Okay. Lisa, what was your darkest moment that you can remember? Oh, I know when it was, I, I know exactly when it was. So, um, I was married seven years and then we had my daughter and, uh, my husband at the time, um, so when I was in hospital, I was misdiagnosed. So I was on like everything. Like I was on Prozac. They had me on like Thorazine and oh, they had me on all, I know. And what happened was every time they gave me something, it made me worse. The Prozac made me feel like I was going to start like climbing the ceiling, you know, it, and, and later when I got properly diagnosed, the woman who diagnosed me, a woman psych, psychiatrist said, the way I reacted to Prozac should have been an indication to them 
that I was bipolar. But in any case, so I was in the hospital and they were giving me all these horrible medications and each one made me feel worse and worse and worse. They gave me one that made me feel like catatonic. Like I remember like I couldn't move. So my husband at the time said, look, I feel like you're being non-compliant. And I had used up my insurance time in the hospital. I had to come home and I came home and he said, you need to figure this out or I'm taking the child. I'm not going to say her name and I'm leaving you. And at this point I was out of work <laughs> and I didn't want to lose my child. So I said, I got to find something. And I have to say, I had a little angel um, in my insurance. This is an amazing thing. My insurance company had a social worker that was assigned to my case and I was home and I had to find someone to help me to correctly diagnose me. And I said to her, I'm home. My husband's going to leave me. Um, I have a lot of anxiety. I have a trouble driving. So I need somebody like close by my house that I can go to because I can't drive far. I can drive like 10 miles, but I can't drive far. Well, this social worker, she saved my life. She found a local psychopharmacologist that lived in my area. And the psychopharmacologist um, interviewed me and my family. And after three visits, three visits, and this is after I had been hospitalized for four months, she said, you're bipolar. I don't understand why people haven't figured this out. She said, Lisa, you have to trust me. I'm going to put you on lithium and you're going to call me every night and tell me what you're taking. And she was managing my meds and she saved my life. But the darkest moment was when my then husband said, if you don't do something, I'm taking the baby and I'm leaving. And I, I was petrified. So I was very fortunate that I have a strong will of a strong will. I had good health insurance. I had people around me and I was able to come through the tunnel. But looking back, no one ever, 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 ever mentioned nutrition ever. So we'll talk about that later, but I just want to put that in there. Yeah. Okay. Janice, what was your dark moment? Um, well, there were many, but I think just in reflecting on it, the darkest moment was, um, so my current partner, we've been together for a long time and I remember there was a big thing about marriage, right? That I, I knew it wasn't really available to me because I knew I didn't have the capacity to do it, but I still wanted somebody to want to marry me because I felt like that would make mean that I wasn't crazy and that I was worthy of somebody wanting to marry me. And so I remember there was his brother who he got married. He's only a couple years younger than him. So he ended up getting married pretty late I think he was probably like in his late 40s almost 50 so I found out his brother got engaged and I remember I had an, an enormous meltdown that night like just this huge like unleashing of all of this like tragic um emotion and I it was like irrational because I didn't know why I was having such a strong reaction but I just all of that in you know unworthiness just unleashed because it was like oh here's his brother who we thought was never going to get married and suddenly he's getting married and then I didn't see us as having the possibility of getting married and then the same thing when we ended up going to their wedding I thought I was fine right rationally and I had a huge emotional like just this huge outburst of like welling up grief and feeling of unworthiness and like I was being rejected right because he's here his brother who'd seem like he would never get married he's getting married and here I have it's like 
I'm getting older and older. I was probably, you know, almost 40. And I was just like, this is not a possibility for me. And in somewhere in my mind, it meant that you are not, you're not worthy of this. Like, this is the ultimate thing for a woman to at least feel like somebody at some point in her life wanted to marry her, even if you're not going to get married. And so I realized in that incident that all of this just like uncontrollable, like upset came up. And I was so embarrassed, like so ashamed both times because he's like, what is going on? Like you have told me the narrative you've told me is like, you don't even want to get married. So it all just unlocked. And I remember thinking in those two moments that I had done it so many times with so many different people, these like tragic meltdowns of feeling rejected by all these relationships. And here I was actually in a good relationship with somebody who loved me, but we just weren't planning to get married. And so I realized in those two moments that it was like, I'm going to destroy this relationship just like all the other ones with someone who actually loves me and values me. And we're still together now. But I realized that those were the moments of destruction where my rational brain is not in charge and I am actually alienating him and making him mistrust me by this uncontrollable like grief and depression that comes out. And so it was like this monster that would take me over. And then he, I would almost get like really disoriented. And then we would have these things where like the next day I couldn't even explain myself. And I just wanted to like hang my head in shame and like go away. And there were, it almost made me want to like just break up with him. So I didn't have to deal with the shame of him seeing me that out of control. So I think those were the times where I was just like, no, I can't even be in a relationship, let alone create like a normal life so yeah that was pretty dark for me because I had something to lose like I wanted to be with him in the past I maybe was with bad relationships where I was like not that invested but this was something that I really really wanted more than anything and we are fortunately still together like Danielle he deserves a place in heaven (laughs) that makes me really happy I'm so happy to hear that okay I didn't have to wait to to hear that yay (laughs) that makes me really happy okay so how did y'all discover carnivore and why did you decide to 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 try it Brett I discovered carnivore through a 30-minute cutout of a Jordan Peterson interview that he gave on Joe Rogan where he described in a way that this stone guitar player who was watching it could understand, you know, here's this man with incredible integrity, somebody I'm, I, I, I'm very impressed with who, you know, part of his, his, his deal is not lying and being honest and being personally responsible and all these positive things. And he's telling me that his daughter figured this out and she wasn't suffering from depression and arthritis anymore. And that his anxiety had improved by 80% or diminished by 80%. And I'm like, I got to look into this. And then I started investigating, you know, all meat diet and come across Sean Baker on Joe Rogan. And again, you've got this person towering integrity, Air Force combat surgeon. They just don't let anybody do that. Telling me that in a way I could find no holds in these logic, that if I just ate meat and drank water, I could heal. I didn't know I had, I, I didn't know it was even possible. Nobody had ever talked to me about that. And then I heard a talk by Amber O'Hearn, how she explained in a way that I could understand that 
we literally as a species came down out of the trees by eating meat and we grew these large brains in our skeletal structure by just eating meat and i looked at my wife and said i gotta try this and so uh i mean these people with incredible integrity are telling me if I do this, I cannot be crazy anymore. And I wanted that more than anything. And so July 16th, 2018, I started eating meat and drinking water. And today is day number 994 days without a single cheat day. And uh, it's completely transformed my life. That's awesome. Okay, Lisa. So I was, um, we started keto. My, I'm on a second marriage. Um, my husband and I are both athletes. So we, um, we heard about a lot of athletes doing keto for inflammation reduction and all that. And I was heading into my premenopausal and all that. And I was getting a little bit of a tummy and, um, and we were tired of being achy all the time and always having to eat every five minutes. And so we both like jumped in together on keto and it, it worked really well for me for a long time. And, um, but, you know, I have an issue with binge eating and I, I really have a messed up metabolism and carbs do not like me, any kind of carbs, even vegetables. So, um, and I do a lot of, I do intermittent fasting and I belong to a lot of the forums. And one of my friends in the intermittent fasting groups is a carnivore. And so I started reading the carnivore code and um, listening to lies my doctor told me and um, finding the podcasts. And my husband is a scientist and we started both exploring and we, and I was having a lot of issues with um, belly bloat and I was just having a, a lot of things. Keto wasn't working for me anymore. And so my husband's like, let's just do it. And we just decided to do it together. And I do have to say, it's really, really helpful to have your partner doing it with you. So we both intermittent fast. We bought an extra freezer. We have, a, we live in Arizona. We have a barbecue. I'm, Amber, I don't have to tell you about meat. You know, there's, there's, we get our meat from a locally sourced farm. It's grass fed. We're supporting a local business. And um, I said, you know, I'll give it like a month. I said, I'll start at Christmas this year, not, not last year, 2020. It was, you know, the pandemic, everything. So I'm like, I'll just give up vegetables for a month and then I'll see. And I, after day two, I'm like, well, I don't even need vegetables. And I felt a shift very quickly in my anxiety. And I mean, I'm, I've been doing really well for the last 25, 30 years. But when I went from keto to carnivore, I felt a shift. So where did I find it? By podcasts, books, other people. And I thought, oh, and I've always been interested in ancestral eating. Always, always, always. Because I'm a runner and I'm like, the cavemen didn't eat like goo gels every 20 minutes when they were doing a long run. It's like, really guys? So we had been already running like two, three hours fasted with no food. So now, oh, this is like the next level. So, um, so podcasts, are really, really helpful. They help people find out about carnivore. They're really helpful. Awesome. I love it. Okay, Janice. Um, I like Brett. I, I actually read 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson's book. And so I read the chapter about Michaela Peterson and I saw her interview with Joe Rogan. And I also saw Jordan Peterson's interview with Joe Rogan. And I think what struck me the most was um, his saying that he basically got rid of the crippling hereditary depression. 
Um, I, I also identified with her story because I had all kinds of other health issues. Like, you know, I felt very arthritic and I was, you know, only in my thirties. And so, um, so yeah, it was that it was, and then I, once you start looking right, then I found, I bought Dr. Baker's book and I, you know, I found steak and butter gal and, you know, I watched some of the meter X videos and that kind of thing, but really it was that first thing of thinking like Brett, I thought, oh my gosh, like Jordan Peterson is like the most intelligent man and, and just seeing him, like he looked so good, you know, he had dropped weight and he was so sharp. You could see his mental clarity. And for him to just say that he just didn't have depression anymore and his wife, Tammy as well. So to me, it was like, I'm going to try it. I had already tried everything. So I didn't have um, a strong hesitation about it. I told my partner and he's like, I don't like vegetables. Let's do it. And we just, we were going on vacation and we decided <laughs> when we came back from the we were going to start that weekend and we did. And we've been ever since. So that's awesome. I love it. Okay. So we heard a little bit about the mental health aspect, but after you started carnivore, let's talk about all the good things that happen and talk about the mental health aspect, but also the other things that improved in your life. Brett, you go first. Well, let's see. Um, the non-scale victories, I'll start with those. So uh, my eyesight got better. I actually used to have to wear glasses to drive a car, but uh, I had to get a new driver's license. I, would, I, I, I was maybe a year and a couple of months or, or just shy of, yeah, I was a little shy of two years. It wasn't quite a year. It, I can't remember exactly. It was several months. I went, yeah, it was after I went to my 40 year high school reunion. It was after that. So it was over a year. I had no clue. I took my glasses with me. I told the lady, I, you know, I, I've got my glasses here. I'm ready to read the line. She said, no, read. You need to read it without your glasses first. And I could read the stinking line. And, and they took the requirement off my driver's license. So that there's the, the one that still shocks me the most because I expected it the least. But I lost. I had horrible eczema, my elbows and ankles. And heels were just horrible, dry, nasty messes with eczema. That all cleared up. I used to suffer from hemorrhoids. They're gone. Yay! <laughs> um, I had flake, horrible flaky scalp. That's gone. Um, and then I lost, I, on the morning of August 9th, I, I'm walking, taking my morning walk, and it's like, some a switch flipped in me and all the depression just vanished went away and it was replaced by this joy joyful waterfall of happiness that's not left me since um the anxiety took about five months to go into remission that took a little longer and the insomnia took about 10 months to be completely resolved um it improved my ability to communicate drastically. Um, and my wife was a month behind me in carnivore. What it's done for our marriage is just beyond words. The way it improved our ability to communicate, um, becoming hormonally balanced and your libido like starts working like it's supposed to. That was pretty insane. Um, there's probably more. I'm, I'm just... 
I, I didn't like write down a list. I don't have like a list memorized. Every day of my life is better than the day before from eating this way. I mean, the worst day I've ever had as a carnivore is trillions of times better than my best day as a depressed person. That is one of my most favorite things that you say. I love that right there. Okay, so Lisa, talk about some of your improvements and go ahead and tell us the moment that you actually felt the, the, the mental illness kind of fading away. I wanna hear that Brett kind of talked about that a little bit, but did you have a specific moment? And tell us all that you saw that was improved. Sure, so um, I've had a gazillion improvements and keto helped a lot, but um, the inflammation is like my knees. I'm a, I'm a long distance runner. I ran uh, 38 miles for my birthday. I ran 61 kilometers and I was like, fine. I'm like, fine. I swim. I so the inflammation is gone. My energy is like so much. It's not that I have more energy because I'm a pretty hyper diaper person, but my energy is constructive. Like I can focus, okay? Cause I'm bipolar. So I do get a little like this sometimes or I get a little like this. It's, the bipolar is not completely gone, but I can manage it, okay? So I can use that energy constructively. Um, the anxiety, okay. So I started like Christmas Eve or Christmas day. We just said no more vegetables. And within two days, I, I swear, I just felt like, I, I think I said to you, uh, um, Amber or somebody else, um, I almost felt like I took a value, like mm -hmm. the anxiety just went like this. And so that's when I said, like, I am never going back. Like, why, why would I? So, um, you know, I'm postmenopausal. I'm, I'm very slender. I'm very fit, but I still have this little like tummy thing going on, drives me nuts. That is diminishing. I'm getting my body composition is becoming more defined. Um, I had a little spot on my chin that I was going to the dermatologist for. It was precancerous. Uh, it's, it's gone. Like, I, I don't even know where it was. Like, I can't find it. Um, I had a frozen shoulder last March when I turned 60, which is very uh, common in women of my age because I'm very active. I, I had pain, like I couldn't sleep in the night and it's got like the shoulders a little better. Like I was going for PT, I was going to the chiropractor, blah, 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 blah. And then I started carnivore uh, December 25th. And I just noticed about two weeks ago, my shoulder, it's like, I could like do everything I need to do with it. And then I think this is really important to talk about the hormonal implications. So I'm a postmenopausal woman. I was taking a uh, topical uh, estrogen for um, vaginal dryness, I'm gonna say it. And um, I stopped using my cream because the carnivore has made me like moist and young. And I need to tell you, my husband, whoa, baby, he is like a teenager. And so he's on carnivore as well. And this is a second marriage and we're kind of newlyweds, but um, I think I think eating meat really helps your hormones adjust because that's how we're made to eat. So I, I could go on and on. I have so many things. My hair was like really short and now it's like growing like it grew when I was like a kid. I had a little spot on my forehead where I was having um, female pattern baldness and my hair, it's, it's all back. It's all back. So my skin. So the mental health thing, I swear, it was like two or three days in really just giving up those vegetables, giving up lettuce, who thought giving up lettuce could make you feel calmer. So I, I, I feel like everybody who has any kind of anxiety or depression, what do you got to lose? Just try it for 30 mm -hmm. days. Just try it. If it yes. doesn't work for you, fine. But 
Like you have nothing to lose. I love that. Yes. Yes. I say that often. I love that. Okay. Janice, tell us about all your improvements. And I got a special question for you. Um, and also talk about if, if there was ever a, a specific moment that you remember where you're like, wow, as far as the, the mental illness goes. And I want to know, are you considering marriage now? <laughs> Great question. Um, okay. Well, the improvements were many. I was basically a hot mess from being vegetarian for almost 10 years. So I had, you know, dandruff, super dry, brittle hair, nails, every imaginable fungus over my whole body. Um, I had candida overgrowth and I had chronic urinary tract infections, chronic constipation, hemorrhoids, straining, yeast infections, um, messed up gums and teeth. Um, I couldn't smell at all or breathe at all because I had horrible allergies and I was constantly inflamed. My whole body was very like arthritic, um, joint pain everywhere, fungus everywhere. So just imagine that whole, I had an ulcer, I had um, headaches and I was basically so insulin sensitive that I slept for the, uh, the majority of my life. So either I was depressed or I was just having like a strong reaction to, to food. I would get hives every night after eating and just thought that was part of life. Just like scratching, like huge welts. My skin was just a wreck, right? And then, so I basically spent most of my life sleeping and weeping. <laughs> because I literally was so emotional. So I was either sleeping, trying to numb out or just super carb messed up, or I was just crying. Right. And so, um, that went away completely. I literally like, I don't cry anymore. The only time I cried was on Brett's podcast. Or <laughs> I literally don't, my dad used to yell at me all the time. Cause I cried so much as a child that he would say, you have to overcome the urge to cry. And it never went away. I just cried throughout my twenties and throughout my thirties because I was so like on the sad diet, I was sad. Um, and so that all went away. And then as far as when it shifted, it was just like what Lisa said for me, it was like within a day where I was like, Oh my God, I don't have bloating and horrible gas. And just like, I didn't have any of those digestive issues. And I just felt so good. It was like, my brain felt like, Oh, I couldn't believe how calm, like I wasn't so depressed and anxious and obsessive. I couldn't generate paranoid thoughts. Like I literally sometimes try to see like, see, come on brain, like try to generate some like negativity and the thoughts won't come up. So that's kind of interesting. It's like the, the fuel is actually dictating like the brain's cognition in a weird way. So same thing with libido. I had like zero and it was only in my thirties and it was just like, completely messed up so my my hormones especially since adding a lot of fat it's like i feel like reverse aging libido everything's you know cruising again and i my partner's also carnivore so he's also like a teenager that's fantastic and about the marriage thing it's like it doesn't matter anymore like i literally don't care we have an amazing carnivore couple relationship we have more trust because I trust myself now and he trusts me and we communicate like Brett and Danielle. We're like, so, and that, you know, usually a lot of the conversations in, in relationships are like the sex, the money, um, the food, right? All of the arguments, all the friction is there. And it's like, well, all those are groovy. So I'm not even, I literally could care less. Like I'm not even interested in getting married anymore. 
like I, it doesn't matter because it's not me making it mean that I'm unworthy that he doesn't want to get married it's like I don't want to get married either now <laughs> so it's very strange I mean I'm not closed off to it I think with carnivore I'm open to any possibility but I'm not like making that mean that if I don't get that then that means I'm a loser you know and I think my top thing that I've gotten is confidence is that I've always been so hating of myself, so self-critical, so just like my own worst enemy. And it's like, no, I'm actually confident now. And that's why the confident cardboard thing is that I feel like I'm a worthy person. So for me, the biggest thing has been, I feel worthy and to wake up and feel good about being alive. And like, I am somebody and I have something to contribute. I think that way Brett described like day 24 for him, mine was sooner, like what Lisa said, it was just like, ding, like this is how good you can feel. And it's never, it's only getting better. I think that's the cool thing about carnivore is it's like, it just keeps getting better. And I keep feeling better and better and happier and happier and more confident and more assertive and more ready for anything, more courage. I'm not, I used to be so like risk averse and like couldn't make a decision analysis paralysis. It's like, I'm decisive and I, I'm ready for anything. You know what I mean? That's like a mm -hmm. different way of being in the world, you know? So. Okay. That's so remarkable. I just, can I just jump in here? Sure. I, I think the relationship part, first of all, Janice, wow. I mean, we like if people don't hear you and, and, and if they don't think like, I'm feeling poorly, why can't I just try this? I mean, the gains you have had are astronomical and it, we need to tell doctors like, hello, you need to talk to your patients about this. But I want to talk about the relationship part because I was married before. And after I got better the first time, I was married 28 years to my first husband. He was a very good man. But food is really important in a relationship. It's like money and politics and religion. Food is a biggie. And I have to say, not this wasn't the only reason, but there were a lot of other issues in my first marriage. Um, he didn't like that I exercised a lot. He didn't like that I did things. I, I was singing in a band. I was teaching at a gym. I was doing all these fun things and he wasn't growing and I was, but I was also growing in my food choices. I'd stopped drinking. I'd given up mm -hmm. carbs. I was taking care of myself. I was giving myself good nutrition because I was focused on longevity and also um, preventing Alzheimer's, which runs in my family. So that's not why we got divorced, but that was that was a big piece of the pie, haha, <laughs> pie. But I think food and um, and respect for people's food choices is a really, really important part of a relationship. And I, I do wanna add, my current husband, who's a scientist, a lot of times he'll do research and I'll be like, Lise, I listened to this podcast about blah, blah, blah. And I think this would really help you. And he's always looking out for what's best for me, vice versa. He's done research on the whole cholesterol thing because he thinks, you know, the way it's being measured is, is incorrect. And, but the point is we're rooting for each other, um, even if we didn't have the same food plan. But I do think food is a really important factor in a relationship. You're right. Oh, you know, I never really thought about that, but yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Jamie? No, I agree because I could never, if, if Aaron didn't want to be carnivore, I can't be with someone who's not carnivore now. You're right, Lisa, 100%. Yeah. We're so lucky. And we talk about all these couples who where they're not on the same page and it causes so much friction because that means one person's inflamed and acting, you know, yeah. sideways <laughs> and the other person's right. insane and rational. <laughs> 
I can't Good even point. imagine. I can't even imagine what life would be like if Danielle hadn't jumped on board the carnivore train too, because her, her with her brain inflammation, it would have been just we would have been almost like we flipped positions where we're because then I would be the same person and she would be the less than same person just by because your brain's inflamed. You're not right. So I, I oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank goodness she jumped on board with me. Yeah, I do think that's really important. Uh, I, I'm lucky in the fact that my husband's not 100% carnivore, but he doesn't really give me a hard time about it. And and he, you know, <clears throat> he, he'll eat what I make, that kind of thing. But like for lunch, he'll, he'll have something maybe that's a little more keto or sometimes since this pandemic thing has happened, he hasn't been as good as he used to be. But, you know, he doesn't give me a hard time about my choices, which is very helpful because I talk to a lot of people and that is a huge issue in a marriage. And it, it seems so wackadoodle to me. And I mean, a lot of people diet is like politics or religion, it's you know, thing. like when you, when you, somebody finds out you're carnivore, they're like, what? You can't eliminate a food group, blah, blah, blah. So you have all this and it's like, what do you care? What do you care? As long as I'm not up on, you know, the stage preaching at you, forcing <clears throat> you to change, what do you care what I do? You know, it, it just blows my mind, but, but that's a very, very valid point you brought up, Lisa. Thank you. That was very good. Okay. Um, one thing I want to kind of ask y'all, and it's kind of implied with what you're saying, but I want to really hear it from you. Y'all are pretty vocal now, are wanting to be more vocal if you're not already. Um, what gives you that passion? Like, why do you want to spread this word? What difference does it make to you if somebody else knows about this way of eating? Where's the passion come from? For, for, for me, it comes from the fact that <clears throat> it wasn't just a few minutes after I felt that the depression leave me. I knew there were two things I had to do. I knew I had to thank the people who led me to this way of eating and that I would have to share my experience because I know from knew from my own work in the mental health field, you know, depression's rampant and you know it's even more rampant now due to food than anything else it always was in my opinion about food and people need to know they're not broken they're not a genetic error mom and dad didn't have a mistake you're just we were all taught to eat things that we should never have put into our mouths under the false pretense that it's healthy and uh you know, I, I quickly, I, I, I was two months into carnivore, you know, the depression went away and I'm on Facebook and I'm not a member of a whole bunch of groups or anything. I'm just zeroing in on health and I'm scared to post there because they got rules and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> this lady that I grew up with, she's a few years older than me, messaged me. She says, I've been diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis. And they've told me I'm going to spend most of the rest of my life in a wheelchair. And she started citing her symptoms, things that I was completely unaware of. She was living a horror show. And she's like, what are you doing? And I recognized right then, this lady has found hope in what I was saying. And so I told her what I was doing, sent her to zeroing in on health, et cetera. 
And in two months, she messaged me back, said, I fired that neurologist because I'm symptom-free. I was symptom-free after a month. And I'm like, I can't keep this a secret. I can't keep this to myself. I have to let other people know. And that's so then I, I bargained with myself and said, okay, I'll try to get on the carnival cast. If I can get on the carnival cast, I'll tell my story once and then we'll see what happens. And I really thought out of 20 people that would hear it, 10 would like it and 10 would hate. But that's not what happened. I, it was overwhelmingly positive and I got dozens and dozens of messages from people saying I, I'd never been able to explain what depression felt like until I heard you explain it. And now I could convey to my doctor just exactly what I'm feeling. And other people thanking me for sharing that. And, I, you know, how could I not? How could I stop after that? So it's, it's my vocation. Uh, I split my time, my energy between music and, and, and sharing the carnivore way of eating. Uh, and I'll never stop. Yay. Okay, Lisa, where does your passion come from? Why do you want to share about your experiences? Well, you know, I struggled so long to um, get correctly diagnosed with my bipolar. And, you know, when somebody has a catastrophic illness like cancer or depression, once you get better, you have so much gratitude, like so much gratitude. So I've been incrementally, you know, improving my life through various tools, you know, my exercise and then my keto. But then when I found carnivore, I just thought, I almost feel an obligation because of everything I've been through. Like what, I see these people doing these crazy diets, being vegan, being vegetarians. And I'm like, why, why? And I just feel like even, if I post it on my Facebook page and I have someone that gets annoyed with me, I got five people behind the scenes, private messaging me saying, tell me more about this. And you never, you can lead a horse to water and they won't drink it till they're ready, but you never know. Maybe it won't connect with someone at this moment in time, but maybe later on. And I, I truly ethically and philosophically feel and spiritually feel like this is how we were meant to eat. And I feel like if, if more people ate this way, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> world peace. And, and the, thing, the thing that concerns me a little bit is I donate to my local food bank. I live in um, Tucson, Arizona. And you know because of the pandemic, there's a big need. And, and we just ordered like a whole cow. And I really wish I could donate some of my meat to the food bank because I'm really, I don't like these people eating the ramen noodles. But when we do donate, we, we donate like tuna fish and things that, that are non-perishable. But I worry about people that, um, that don't have access to the knowledge mm -hmm. about how fabulous it is. So mm -hmm. podcasts like this, they're free. They put, somebody could put on their little headphones and you never know who we're reaching. So I feel compelled to share. I feel compelled to pay it forward because I'm in a good place. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's Awesome. Okay, Janice, where does your passion come from? Why do you want to share your story? I 100% agree with Lisa and Brett. And I do believe when you said, Amber, world peace, I believe there will be world peace through carnivory. And, you know, our <laughs> motto we, in the Confident Carnivore, we say, change your field, change your life. And I think it's just such a simple thing. And 
I felt it myself just, you know, looking back at four decades of needless suffering um, and misery. And I look at my family and how it, you know, my grandma was a brilliant organic chemist. She graduated at the top of her class from UC Berkeley back when there were no Asian <laughs> Chinese women. She was, you know, an immigrant and she had paranoid schizophrenia and it destroyed her. Her whole life was ruined. You know, she had a sweet tooth and she was institutionalized from the time she was, you know, a young mom. And then we would visit her in the halfway home and she would be arguing with the air, you know, like fighting with the air into her, her old age. And we would bring her chocolate. Ironically, we bring her a bottle, I mean, a box of like Russell's chocolates or something. So I just look at it for me. It's like, you know what Lisa said that it's like how could I Brett too like how could I not pay it forward when I know how horrible it feels and how trapped you feel and you just want to die because you feel so unworthy and you feel like why am I even here and I look at people and I think this is so simple like it would be criminal and really stingy and unethical to not share something that's so easy for people to literally heal themselves and so quickly we had a neighbor um in santa cruz where he kind of randomly asked we were going out to buy ribeye and one of the neighbors was joking are you guys going to buy ribeye and so then the neighbor guy who's in his 30s he asked us like what are you talking about and and the guy says oh well they only eat meat and so then my partner aaron ended up telling him about carnivore and he was really curious and he asked all these questions and he literally, within two months, it saved his life. He had so many debilitating health conditions, even though he was only in his 30s. Um, and he, he was like our first <laughs> guest on Confident Carnivore because it was just like, that is when I knew. We have to share actual stories like this, panels where people can hear like real people. And as you've asked these questions, Amber, about like, what did you actually feel like? What actually happened? What did you actually do? Because people need to hear that so they can relate it so that this is you. We are you, right? All of these humans are needlessly, you know, they're all of their potential is destroyed, you know, which affects humanity as a whole. And there's so much extra violence and just like, you know, misery. And so I feel like I will never stop. Like, it is a little awkward sometimes putting yourself out there because it does seem extreme to people. People are very, you know, believing in plants. Um, but I think I'll never stop because it would just be, that would, to me would mean that I'm not, I don't, that means I don't care about my fellow man if I don't share, you know? So, yeah. I love that because, you know, by sharing these stories and talking about how important nutrition is, you know, you kind of hear this, you are what you eat. And like me, I always roll my eyes, <laughs> whatever. I just care about fitting in my size zero jeans, right? That was my whole goal. I didn't care about all that health stuff because I wasn't old yet. And, you know, people, I don't really fully think that they understand how important nutrition is and how that should be the first line of any kind of treatment is fix your lifestyle, which includes activity and diet and, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, okay. So let's, for the last question, I want y'all to give everybody your best 
bit of advice for somebody who may be having issues with their mental health or even other symptoms that are going on, autoimmune issues, whatever, what would be your best advice when somebody wants to change, they want to heal? What would you tell them? Because we all know it's all ingrained in our heads. You must have your, your carbs. That's, that should be your base of the pyramid, et cetera. What would you tell those people, Brett? I would tell them that I know from personal firsthand experience that this way of eating heals the body. It lowers your brain inflammation to the point that your body can function as it was always supposed to function. And I would use my experience in, in a one-to-one, -one, but in just sharing from here, what you've been doing hasn't worked. Taking the meds hasn't fixed anything. It might have made you a little better and a little more socially acceptable, but in the end, what's truly better about your quality of life? You're dependent upon a medication just to sort of kind of get through the day. And you're not, you're not optimal. You're not the person that you were always supposed to be. And I, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm still healing, but, but I'm a whole lot more like the man I always wanted to be than I've ever been before in my life. And it's not hard. It doesn't take a lot of measuring. You don't have to spend a lot of time fiddle farting around with details and all these little things that can make anxiety just stay around your life. Just eat meat and drink water like it's your job and trust your body. Trust the process. We were designed to absorb 98 to 99% of all the meat we eat in our small intestine. And I'm living proof after 994 days. It won't just heal you. It will vastly, vastly transform you into a much better community. Love it. Awesome. Okay, Lisa. Well, everything Brett said, but um, I think people are not, um, not told to use nutrition for healing. Like what doctor ever says to you, oh, you should do this. So I, as a matter of fact, I just had a friend message me last week. Her teenage granddaughter is having a lot of difficulty. So the first thing I said to her is, get around carnivore. So my advice is like Brett said, it's, you don't have to overthink it. It's, and we, we just realized that we haven't been to the supermarket since we bought our cow. We don't need to. So you just eat meat, you drink water. And if you don't see a difference soon, then, um, then I would be surprised. It, it's, it's worth a try. And also, um, be open, be open to trying it. Don't be like, oh no, that can't do it. You have to be like, if you already, if you already feel so poorly, you can't feel any worse. So at least please try it. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. And I would just say, you know, by the time people are looking for something, it's like, what have you got to lose? And people are so um, opposed. They're like, what? You don't eat fruit and vegetables. And it's like, Okay, so if you think it's going to give you a heart attack or high cholesterol, we'll try it for two weeks and then you can always go back. But like Lisa said, like Brett mm -hmm. said, two weeks to 30 days, you're going to notice when you're, you know, it's like you're, I always think of it as like a car where, you know, you've been like putting rocks in the gas tank or something, right? It's like the car hasn't been running right. And then you take those rocks out of the gas and all of a sudden the car is working. And so I think 
to me, it's like, it's so natural, like just eating meat and drinking water, your body's going to take to it. Like Brett said, like you're designed to eat that way. So you will know. So rather than letting your mind stop you from just trying it, just freaking try it. And if you end up after 30 days and you want to eat vegetables and you want to eat grains again, then you always can. Like, don't overthink it. Just like Lisa said, it's like, what it like don't let your dogma or your conditioning or your you know everything you've been fed your whole life about plants plants fiber fiber don't let that stop <laughs> you from just trying it you know absolutely don't so seriously that you think that like the whole earth is going to shatter because you <laughs> aren't eating vegetables for a few days you know isn't that the truth think outside the box yeah. And I just want to add one quick thing. A lot of people think like, oh, this is just a small fraction of the population. And it's so weird, people that are carnivore. But once you get into the communities, you'll realize, it, my husband says it's almost like a parallel universe. You know, it's like, yeah, there's tons of us. It's not a small bunch of crazy people. It's a lot of people having huge success with their lives. And it's growing exponentially because it's improving our lives. That's right. And the word is getting out and more people are trying it and they're experiencing it. And, and like y'all, all of y'all have said, if you've tried everything, why not give this a try? I mean, you have nothing to lose. So if that's anything that you get from this, that, and while y'all are here, Hey, would you subscribe to my channel? And I'm going to have information below for all of these awesome people. So you can go follow them too. listen to the podcast that they're on. They are truly amazing people. So be sure to follow them. And thank y'all so much for joining the panel. It's been a very informative and very inspiring. And I appreciate y'all coming on. Thanks so much, Amber, for having me. Thanks for doing this. It's a really important conversation. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye y'all. Bye.